Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Eve, president and founder of Pups Without Borders, a nonprofit animal rescue that specializes in rescuing pregnant dogs, nursing litters, and sick or injured puppies. For being relatively new to the rescue world, this organization is combining old school knowledge with modern practices to better the lives of animals and doing quite amazing because of it. That's why we were so excited to bring Eve on to talk about the beginnings of her rescue and the incredible mindset her and her team run with to make big things happen. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started. Hey, Eve, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Really good. Yeah, doing great. I'm so excited to talk to you. I feel like I just see all of your amazing successes all over <laughs> Cuddly and all over social media all the time. Maybe it's because your fundraising consultant is just so loud and proud. I don't know, <laughs> but I'm so excited to kind of get into the nuts and bolts of everything that you guys do and how you found your way to doing what you do. That is so kind. Thank you. And yes, I, I would like to give full credit to Aisha and say that it's all just her, but I don't know if you'll believe me, but oh my gosh, she is amazing. Seriously. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that later. She does so much. I think she's one of those girls that doesn't need caffeine too. She just has like a bizarre mm-hmm. amount of energy. And oh. I'm just like, yeah, I know. I hate it. They're like aliens. I, I never <laughs> trust those people. If people don't drink coffee, I'm like, what are you? And where are you from? <laughs> How do you function? <laughs> I think she lives off, yeah, water and sunshine. And she, yeah. anyhow. I'm not going to put words into her mouth. I'm sure there's caffeine involved somewhere. I'm going to just like assume. So tell us, how did Pops Without Borders get started? Oh boy. It's kind of a cool story, if I do say so myself. So I'm the founder and I actually used to be a music teacher and performing musician for the last 10 years or so. And I was very happy doing that. But on the side, I I always worked with dogs. So usually that just meant volunteering or fostering. I used to foster for Karma Rescue, who's a rescue I still love. I used to volunteer at the East Valley Animal Shelter. And that that was rough for, you know, anyone who's volunteered at a shelter. It's a very different experience. And then there was another rescue that I worked with before we founded our rescue. And I would do as much as possible while still having my full-time job because as you know, when you're volunteering, you're not getting paid and I still needed a job to support my life. And I loved it. I love teaching. I love the kids. I love music. But I would spend every free waking moment either fostering or walking or, or fundraising or doing whatever I could for dogs. So then COVID hit and our school went online almost immediately like every other school. And sometime near the end of that academic year, just a few months after uh, we all went home in March, we got the announcement that the school was going to cut its programs by about half. So it was a small private school. So they cut almost all of their arts programs, which included music. And I was pretty devastated just because that's, yeah, you know, you never want to be laid off. Mm -hmm. I know it wasn't an easy decision for them. And might get back to this later, but I'm still in touch with the school. It's an amazing group of people and I've adopted dogs to like 80% of the staff there. 
So it was definitely meant to be. And anyway, I got laid off and, you know, I was so sad. And my friend was like, well, why are you sad? You know, there's unemployment and you can just keep fostering dogs for a while. I was like, oh yeah. And I had always had this dream to foster a pregnant dog. I don't know why. I just really wanted to help a pregnant dog give birth and help raise the puppies. So that's the first thing I did is I reached out to the couple of contacts I had in Mexico from the other rescues I had worked with and was like, hey, I have all this free time. Do you need anyone to help with a pregnant dog? And of course, everyone on earth was like, yes. So I got my first pregnant dog that we named Storm after the X-Men. And then she had a bunch of puppies and we named them all after X-Men as well. And she was a complicated case. She had something called TVT, which is a... Yeah, you've probably heard of TBT, transmissible venereal tumor. It's a sexually transmittable uh, cancer, which is only only happens with dogs and Tasmanian devils. It's it's not a fun one. Mm-hmm. So I helped Storm and I helped her puppies and and kind of just helped kept helping dogs here and there. And then that kind of grew to involving my roommate, where we were like, let's just keep doing this. Let's use our spare bedroom and have that be the dog nursery. And then it was like, well, what if we use the office too? Because I don't want to, I don't want to leave this dog. This one we can keep. They said these two really need help. And then I reached out to a couple more people because it was getting hard to take care of all the cleanup and all the walking and all the appointments. And I ended up finding Joanna, who's now running the entire thing. She had previously adopted two storm puppies for me. And she came over just part-time to help with some cleanup. And then that grew to another person. And then we found Liesl, who's our VP and also kind of runs everything. And she came over just to help clean up a little bit, take dogs on walks, pick up poop. Flash forward a year and a half and we're all full-time. We have a staff of six employees on our, you know, either part-time or full-time and a huge network of volunteers and fosters. And we just adopted out our 700th, I believe, dog since just January of um, 2021. So yeah, long story short, it just kept growing because the need was there and growing and we didn't want to stop. And at some point, somebody recommended that I get the 501c3 paperwork so that we could just continue doing it the right way and be able to get donations so we could just go and go and go. And so we've been doing, going nonstop since March of 2020. Can I just say too, the fact that you started with a pregnant dog, I think just makes you like a warrior in and of yourself. <laughs> I feel like when people first start, like they're like, I'll start with one dog. I'll start with maybe two. But you took in a dog that's going to give birth. To, I mean, dogs have huge litters of like eight or 10 puppies most of the time. <laughs> so the fact that you basically started with an entire litter and mom is just insane to me. Well, that's that's what I wanted. Because remember, I had fostered and volunteered. I had fostered one or two puppies and a dog. And it was always like getting my roommates or whoever I was living at the time to be okay with that. And I finally had a roommate who still lives with me, who was like, just a huge dog lover. And he has a big Akita German Shepherd named Karen. And I should attribute it to yeah, Torin was the first one to say like, why don't you just make this happen? Like, why do you keep doing this for free for other rescues that aren't really doing like I was doing all of the work and they weren't Mm -hmm. helping and they weren't doing what they should with the money that came from the adoption fees. Yeah, that's why we kind of ended up starting our own because we wanted to do it the right way and wasn't happening before that. It is so incredible. Not the least of which this is like a real reality check for me of like, oh my God, COVID's been happening for two years. Yeah, it's not fun. I'm like, 
wait, what? You started a month ago in COVID when COVID started, right? Right, a month ago. This is really just a sign, Sid, that we could have been using this time to start new hobbies and and do new things. I know. Oh, don't worry. I could have been working out and reading and practicing piano and learning, you know, getting better at Spanish. I think all of us have that list of like, oh, I have like the 40 books that I bought and (laughs) haven't read. Yeah, all the kits for all the art projects and things. Mm -hmm. All the gardening. Yeah, whatever. Saved a lot of dogs, so at least I can go with that. Oh, yeah. That's way better than baking bread. That's for sure. (laughs) Exactly. The personal hobbies did not necessarily happen. Yeah. I mean, and that's something I think going back to like losing your position at the school, that's something I guess I didn't think about too. It's like, I'm a big arts lover. Yeah. Typically arts programs tend to be the first that are cut and on so many situations. And of course, when you're not there in person, it makes it that much harder. I know, I think there was like a running joke of like, people trying to do like choir practice over Zoom. Yeah. And it like did not work. No, we made it work and the kids did their best and we did our best. And luckily everyone from the school administrators to the parents were of the understanding that we're, we're just trying to, to exist at this point. And our priority at that school was always just to keep the kids as healthy and happy as possible. We just wanted them to not hate their lives and I'm glad we did because it kept going. So, yeah. Like speaking as an arts kid, like if that was stripped away and it was like, now you just need to do a bunch of online math or something, I would be like, no. You take away that creative outlet. Oh, yeah. That's heartbreaking. They kept one or two of the electives, but the majority they didn't. But hey, that was a, a blessing in disguise for me. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's incredible. And I love, I mean, How did you even get connected with all of these individuals? Were they also volunteering at the rescue that all these people that ended up in your home? So Joanna and Liesl, who are kind of core um, team, as I said, Joanna had adopted through us. And of course, that wasn't just a clear cut. She adopted through us. It It was a bigger story. But essentially, she had been trying to adopt a puppy for like four months before finding me and Storm and all of our puppies. And we still talk about that because we still have so many people applying. And in the rescue world, it's sometimes commonplace for rescues not to reply to people when they apply to adopt. That's like a thing that people come to us and say, and they're always shocked when we get back to them within a day or two. So just kind of starting there with Joanna, having that experience and finding us. And now she gets to be the one that's like, oh, I've been there and we're not going to, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do things that way. So she spends way more time than she needs to, making sure that everybody gets a response and doesn't feel like they're just being ignored. Mm -hmm. But she also, she was working in the restaurant world for her entire life. And then COVID hit. Liesl, our VP, was, she had her own pet sitting, dog walking, like taking care of pets business for I think 10 years. And then COVID hit and people weren't leaving. They didn't need anything for their dogs. So she kind of, and she'd also been focusing on acting everything went full circle for all of us. And it just kind of worked out perfectly that we all found each other and found this calling. And now we're like obsessed and (laughs) and never take breaks. And we're so happy. This is just all we do and all we care about. Oh, I love that. That's so amazing. I mean, you're like the success story. I think it sounds like from like, I know so many people even now are still like quitting their jobs, trying to like refocus on their passions and things like that. And I love that you're able to do that. And of course, 
almost wonder if your passion for music is going to be like refreshed too, because it becomes less of a job and more of a a passion and something that you can just do when you love it. Absolutely. Well, so I think it's really interesting what you were talking about with the adoption, because I know that's a pain point. I mean, obviously for so many people, we hear things all the time, especially when it comes to, it's so weird when one animal is like, has the best photos and the best description, you suddenly have a hundred applications for that one animal. And I feel like, meanwhile, an animal that looks exactly the same is getting nothing. Yeah. As my boyfriend has said, if he could figure out the algorithm for why some dogs are just so sought after and adopted within a couple of days and why others are, are with us for six months, he would be a millionaire. He actually wouldn't be because no one's going to pay for that service. But We've all wondered it and we've made jokes before betting like, okay, of this week's available dogs, who's going to be the surprise one that gets all of these hits? And sometimes it's, it's pretty clear. Like we've learned that people in general are really looking for hypoallergenic puppies. That's like a big thing. So whenever we get those, we have now seen and we are expecting like a thousand, not really a thousand, but a ton of applications, a ton of people calling and texting and emailing. And we're like, all right, get ready for the storm. And and we don't leave those applications open for as long because we don't want to get people's hopes up and we just need we just need a couple solid applications to go after but yeah so that's part of the recipe that we we do understand and then it's always harder for you know our like middle-aged pit bulls or larger breed dogs probably as it is for every rescue and they're always with us longer and we anticipate that but we still just kind of rescue whoever comes our way and whoever needs help at that time and we try and alternate it but you can't sit around waiting for a certain type of dog. It's usually like the second we have a room or a foster open up, like by some fate, someone texts me that night and is like, this dog's about to give birth under a highway. And we're like, yep, we got room. Don't care what it looks like. Just bring it. And that's kind of how we do it. <laughs> I am curious because I, I know we've heard from a few different rescues as far as like what their adoption processes are like. Some are more lengthy, some are more on the comprehensive side and others are, are just a more, I don't know if laissez-faire is like the right word. What is yours like? Laissez-faire. It's definitely not laissez-faire, but it's also not, it's not very lengthy because like I just said, it's in our benefit to get the dogs adopted out mm-hmm. kind of on the quicker side. That doesn't mean that we rush anything. It just means that we are working 24 seven. So our adoption process starts with the application, which people submit on our website. And sometimes they know exactly what dog they're applying for. Sometimes they put general or like we want a medium size or we want a mom dog or we want a puppy. And then as soon as we get that and read it over, if the application looks pretty good, we'll schedule a phone interview, one of our team. And then we'll do the phone interview and kind of get a uh, gauge of who they are and what they're looking for. And at this point, I would say we move forward with like 50 to 75% of people after the phone interview. And sometimes it's just a, hey, right now doesn't seem like a perfect time for you. Why don't you come back to us? Because sometimes people are expecting this like six month process because they've been burned by other rescues in the past. And they're like, well, we're building a house right now. It's going to be ready in six months. And we're like, that's awesome. Call us in five months (laughs) and we will help you then. So yeah, part of it is just that timing. We try and make it clear to people that any dog that's listed now is going to have a lot of applicants. So apply now. But yeah, so they do the phone interview. And then if we decide to move forward, we connect them with whoever has that dog, whatever foster. And then they go and do a meeting. 
And if it seems like a good fit, we move forward with everything and they can pick up the dog usually within a couple of days. Wow. That's so quick. Uh-huh. I feel like, and in the best way, like, I think that's, I think someone who's maybe not familiar with animal welfare would maybe anticipate that, but someone who has the general knowledge would be like, yeah, it's going to be months. I'm going to need to do a home check and do all these other things. Yeah. And we do do a home check. Sorry. I forgot to mention that, but I mean, that can take five to 10 minutes. So Right. Yeah. It's just why we're really big on the dog not moving a lot and not spending a lot of time in different environments because it it can mess with their head. We want the dog in one foster home or like at my home that we kind of converted, right? With all the different rooms in the dog nursery. And we don't want to move them unless absolutely necessary. So that's part of why we're like, okay, we're going to have whichever of the adopters seems like the best fit and seems like they're actually going to be able to adopt this dog. Because we also, I don't know. We've seen it on both sides where a lot of adopters will come and that means that four of them get their hearts broken if they're not chosen. And we've seen it where maybe I'm anthropomorphizing, but the dog meets a lot of people and they all back out. And I'm like, I swear this dog can tell that that people aren't choosing it. It's so sad. I don't know if they can, but I think they can sometimes. So that's kind of almost the hardest part is balancing. How many people do we come and get to meet this dog to increase its chances of being adopted without breaking unnecessary hearts. Yeah. Starting in COVID too, I think it's really interesting because, I mean, we've spoken with a bunch of different organizations who've been doing paperwork and handholding and a lot of stuff for years, and they've had to pivot in a big way because so many things like converted to virtual and they converted oh, suddenly they had to do online donations. So I'm wondering if you feel like maybe you got like a leg up by having that solid like virtual foundation and mm-hmm. by starting in COVID instead of having to pivot. Yeah. And we're, uh, we like as a rescuer are on, on the younger side and our, our staff is on the younger side. And I think that helps. And, you know, we do have adopters of all ages, but probably average out right in like the thirties and forties. So we definitely have like seniors sometimes who are just like, can I just write you a check? And I'm like, yeah, just write me a check. And like, can we just do a paper application? Yes, let's just do a paper application. We don't care. Like it's either going to be paper or it's on the computer. And if it's paper, we scan it and put it into the computer. And honestly, checks are amazing because everything charges fees now. <laughs> At like oh, yeah. PayPal, Venmo, everything charges fees. So if people offer, you know, to write a check, I'm like, that is actually fantastic. Let's, let's do it. Never thought I would need a checkbook again, but yeah, the technological things have come in handy and we've gotten much better at those. And it does help the process go along more, more smoothly. Yeah. And I know Sid and I have talked about this. There's, I I know all the statistics are saying the majority of pet owners, pet parents, I'm sorry, (laughs) pet parents, pet roommates. Yes. Yeah like leaders at this point. They're like little dictators. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I know the majority of them are are millennials and Gen Z. So I know for a lot of those people, it's like, no, I don't have a fax mis- machine yeah. to send you oh my, gosh. my adop- adoption application. And we do not have a fax machine to receive it. So <laughs> mm-hmm. email is great there. I would say checks too. I don't know a lot of... My cousins are, I think, like 10 years younger than me and they have never seen a check, never written a check. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm like, I I still have my checkbook. I have my balance book. Yeah. Yeah, we might be the last generation to use checks. Which is like Venmo and Zelle and just so many other ways that they can do it. I can see why. Yeah. Checks never charge a fee. Right? 
Yeah. As millennials, I feel like we're in this like really fun, special unit because I feel like we know about checks. We know about kind of like dated things like let's talk about dial up internet for a moment. And so like, I think we can empathize with older generations. And then we also know how important websites are and and things like that. Yeah. Right in the middle. (laughs) Yeah. So that might even, I wonder if you are reaching a kind of generation that otherwise was a little bit untapped because a lot of um, animal welfare groups tend to skew a little bit older. Like, do you think by having like a by having a more virtual system, I know for me, like if I can avoid talking to someone, I'll do that. Oh yeah. And normally I would be the exact same way. Like I, I will rarely go to a store nowadays, but yeah, I think we do as much as we can digitally. And we started that way simply because of COVID for the couple months I was helping other rescues before COVID, we would go and do in-person home checks and we would bring the dog and, and walk around. And ever since COVID started, we almost never do that. We'll either do a FaceTime tour or they'll send us videos or they'll send us pictures. And then we'll meet the dog where the dog is right at the foster home. And like that, that's when we make the decision. If they have other dogs or pets at the house, we try and introduce them elsewhere. Yeah. We don't want our humans or dogs having to move around too much, but I do find it funny that you would talk about generational. Cause like I said, I think we're a younger rescue in our, I guess the people who run it because we're mostly in our early 30s. And I think we, Joanna's in her 40s. I hope she doesn't yell at me for saying that. But a lot of the rescues that I've worked with and, and gotten advice from are a little older and they've been doing this forever and they do it a little differently. But what's funny is in terms of like our social media presence, I, I would say our main, not competitors, but the other rescues that were like doing similar things that we're doing and trying to get a big presence on social media simply to get more fosters and more adopters and more donations to help dogs. Those are probably people of similar ages, but I don't think that they have the know-how that we might have from talking to rescues who have been doing this forever. There's a lot you can learn from older rescues, even if they're still doing things on paper sometimes, just in terms of like advice. Like I have called friends in the middle of the night about birthing issues, about cancers, about just every kind of weird medical thing that you could think of when you need to get something solved quickly, you need to get a dog to the vet, but you don't know which one. It's It's been incredibly helpful to have that traditional know-how, but also have access to millennials and younger people. And in terms of adoptions, we really, I think the youngest person we've adopted to was maybe like 21. And they're, yeah, and it's rare. I think I'd said before, the majority of our adopters are probably like in their 30s and 40s. But we also find seniors who are like, oh my God, in better shape than I am and out hiking every day. And we're like, okay, this this senior can have a puppy. Like they're a great fit. And we've found really young people were like, this person is not set in their life yet and they're not a good fit. So we've even joked about like <laughs> trying to just get more in the middle because when you go very, very old or very, very young, you find slight issues that make the person somewhat less reliable for your dogs. And we're like, all right, can we just, can we just make our age range like 31 to 41 <laughs> and only adopt to people that age? Just kidding. But it has come up as a joke. <laughs> I know. Well, I think it's interesting too, because I know the majority of our team is, tends to be a little bit younger, but a lot of them, like they have very old souls, I think. Yeah. And like, I feel like that speaks to their relationships with their animals. Like so many of them are like, so hyper dedicated 
like for me, like when I was like 10 years younger than I am now, I was like, could barely keep a plant alive. But these individuals are like, they've got two giant, what are Katie Ann's dogs? Oh, she has, um, they're shepherd mixes, like shepherd gold, but like very large shepherds, very long hair, big dogs. <laughs> it really is interesting. <laughs> I personally adopted my first dog, I think when I was 22, just out of grad school, barely had a job and was in a small townhouse. And like on paper, I was not the ideal applicant and I still have magic. He's still my big fat spoiled old man. I will always talk to the person and all we're looking for when we talk to adopters, more or less, is that dedication. Like the biggest thing that any rescue, I would imagine, and our rescue in particular is looking for when we talk to adopters is, is this person ever going to relinquish a dog? And we put it in the application 20 times and we ask you in the interview 20 times and somehow people still return dogs. And it's not super common. It's probably like, I don't know, two out of a hundred or something, mm-hmm. but, but we want zero. Like we just want it to never happen. And the best that we can do is make those numbers as low as possible by looking for people who are the type of people who, once they adopt a dog, that's their dog. And those are the people we want to adopt to. It's my dog. It's my family. Whatever problems may arise, we're going to deal with them together. However, we want resourceful, dedicated people. And it's harder than you'd think to, to find them, especially in a today's age of, what is that? What are all the boomers complaining about? Um instant gratification all those things. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was going to say I I was at my um my uh, first rescue. I think I got him god when I was maybe 21 or 22 um and he is my trouble case. He's escaped my house multiple times. He has major separation anxiety. He chews through doors. He's just very destructive when he gets really anxious and a lot of people have said maybe that's not the right dog for you or why do you keep him if he just keeps destroying things? And I'm like there's not a choice. I adopted him. He's mine. I get to deal with whatever's going to happen to him. Yeah. And I've tried to explain that, you know, you you always want to try and advocate for the dog without really guilt tripping anyone because that's not going to help no matter how angry we get. But it's especially like in cases like that where there's issues of like destruction or separation anxiety where I'm like, okay, here's everything I would recommend. Here's how we can help you. Here are trainers we work with. And I want to be honest with you. There is not particularly something that is going to help by moving this dog. Because sometimes it is. Like we had a dog come back um, a couple months ago who we weren't surprised because we adopted him out as a puppy. The mom, Marge, had given birth at our house and she was like a 25 pound, 30 dog, 30 pound dog. And by the time these dogs were two or three months, they were that size. So when he came back to us as a six month old dog, he was like 70 pounds. And we had adopted him out to a family in an apartment because mom was just, smaller. And by two months old, we were like, okay, I think he's going to be maybe 30, 40 pounds. And they just never stopped growing. And so as much as they tried, they were in the small apartment and he was big and just, I'm surprised he didn't tumble the whole building over. So we understood and they were devastated and we were so sad for him. But luckily we did find someone who just adores him, who has a big house or the big yard. So there are situations like that, that you can't always predict. And then there's I don't know. I could get into it if you want to do a whole other five-hour podcast about, I don't know, we've joked, we've called it like ranting about dog rescue. (laughs) Like that is the only thing in dog rescue that gives me like severe migraines is dealing with dogs being returned. We've gotten somewhat used to the 
to even having to bury puppies way before their time and dogs who don't make it and dogs who we find too late and things like that. And that has become part of the job. But when it's human error and human laziness or stupidity or whatever you want to call it, I'm just like, I just want to give up sometimes. But so far we haven't. Oh, heartbreaking. Well, I mean, looking over the animals that you take in, it looks like a lot come from Mexico. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with proximity. And you already said that you'll you'll take whoever's under an overpass or <laughs> or wherever they're coming to you. I'm wondering, are there some kind of stories? I mean, you've been doing this for for like a year now, officially. <laughs> right. So is is there a story over the past year that's really kind of stuck with you? Oh, I just have to pick one. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> so one of the first ones that comes to mind, if we're if we're talking about the dogs we found on Cuddly, is probably Sunshine. I don't know if you guys saw her. Our dog, our uh, double amputee German Shepherd puppy, who is in a wheelchair, and I just love her. Like she literally lives with myself and and Lisa, our VP, because there was nowhere else for her to go. She required so much care when we first got her. She she had to be either elevated in her wheelchair, she had to be wrapped in a special way because her legs were so sore after they amputated them. So we just tended to her 24-7 for the last three months and we just adore her. And she was also like the biggest pain in the butt (laughs) while still just being the love of my life. And we actually haven't announced this officially yet, but I might as well say it here. She's getting adopted. Yeah, she's going to North Carolina there's a, a young lady who saw her on Pet Finders and just fell in love with her because she has a big heart and, and wants to adopt special needs dogs because she knows that they are the last to get adopted because people are you know intimidated by the amount of work. So she already has a dog who has no eyes. They had to have their, their eyes taken out and now she wants sunshine. Um, so she already did everything. She already paid her adoption fee, did the contract, and then she hired a transport team to drive sunshine in an RV from our place in LA to her place in North Carolina because flying sucks for dogs. And we were like, yeah, this is, this is better. But yeah, Sunshine, I saw a post on Facebook of this dog dragging its legs. And I remember seeing the post and it already had, you know, like a thousand shares and a couple hundred comments. So I looked it over quickly. And basically when that happens, my, my work brain is like, okay, this has been dealt with. Someone's going to rescue this dog. And I kind of like safe, check, done. And then someone tagged me again a couple of days later and I looked back and I, I started to read the comments and I was like, this dog is still there. This dog is still in this like empty backyard eating out of a bucket. Like what? And then I was really reading them and there were so many uh, near misses of like someone saying they were going to get it. And then I think someone took her to the vet and then dropped her back off because they couldn't care for her. And when that happens, my stupid brain just goes straight to like, okay, solve the problem. So I texted my driver in Tijuana was like, can you pick this dog up? Did I think at that moment that I was going to be living with a paraplegic dog in my house that can't control its pottying and needs to be carried outside every three hours? No, but whatever, that's what happened. So he picked her up and took her to the vet and just immediately our team there fell in love with her. They let us know about her legs, that she was mostly paralyzed and basically the legs were a hazard because they would get stuck on things that would get infected. So they amputated her legs. My main foster in Mexico took care of her for about a week, which was an even harder job because she had her when she was fresh out, of, fresh out of surgery and really had to protect her legs from getting infected. They started her on the wheelchair. And then we brought her here and like we really started from scratch. We didn't know about dog diapers. We didn't know about drag bags. One of our 
helpers who comes like walks dogs was like, oh, she needs a drag bag. What's a drag bag? Like it's a bag you put around paralyzed dogs so they can drag around without injuring their limbs. You didn't know about that? I'm like, oh, I didn't know about that. <laughs> and thanks to Cuddly, we got, oh my God, everything under the sun, including the most insane thing that is still the most useful, which was a wheelchair, like a big, I think it was like an $800 wheelchair. And we use that every day. We go on her walk. Sometimes we take her to the dog park. And without that wheelchair, I don't know how it could have worked because she is a puppy. She's like a nine month old German shepherd puppy. And she wants to move. Move. (laughs) She wants to nibble. She wants to herd. And we take her on a nice long walk every day or we take her to the park. And she even just on her front leg, she pulls herself and that wears her out. And then she can nap during the day with the other dogs. And yeah, that was just, it was really inspiring seeing, I think, all of the supporters that came out, all the donations that came in for her, which was really helpful because she needs so many surgeries and vet appointments, so many accessories for her chair. We probably spent like $250 just on diapers because she's always wearing a diaper because she just cannot control anything. And then that kind of culminating in someone actually adopting her, like that was as good of a success story as we've ever had. I just, I was just kind of bummed because we love her so much, but we've, we've talked over 50,000 times and we know that the amount of time that we spend taking care of her, we can spend on more pregnant dogs and other dogs. And there's someone who loves her and wants her. So we have to let her go. That's such a special case. Isn't that like such the beauty of the internet for like all the, all the bad stuff that's on the internet, everything bad that comes with that sort of thing it connects people to animals that they would have never met otherwise and and makes families. Yeah, that's definitely an upside. (laughs) And where you guys come in, because you guys have been insanely helpful in a ton of cases, right? That was just one that ended really well. Not all of our cuddly cases have ended so well. I won't get into them, but when you're dealing with really severely abused or neglected or medical cases, they don't always end that well. Right. And even when you get into like, it's hard sometimes placing a puppy, I think, because they have so much energy and people are just like looking at them and being like, but they're so cute. And it's like, they're going to be so bad. And then add a wheelchair onto that, add incontinence to that. Like it would be so hard to find an adopter and then to find like the ultimate perfect one. Oh yeah. Basically we couldn't have made her sound worse. The dog, I mean, like This is another joke between us that when we talk to adopters, we're not trying to sell them this dog. We're trying not to sell them this dog. Like we want to make whatever dog or puppy that they're trying to adopt sound like worst case scenario, right? Because we don't want this dog coming back. So if this dog is not potty trained, we're not like, he's working on it. You know, we're like, no, he's not potty trained. So expect accidents. Um, He bites your legs. He'll try and pull your pants down. (laughs) Like, I love that so much. Yeah. Our priority is not to get the dog out and get the dog adopted. It's to get the dog to its forever home Yeah, for our sake and for theirs. We don't want the dog ever having to come back. So here's everything negative you would ever think about this adorable puppy and, you know, make sure you're ready for it. I mean, that's why my running joke is I wish that there was like a rescue for men so that someone would <laughs> oh tell God. me, there's like, okay, but tell me your worst case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> like, tell me. Do you not rinse out the sink after you brush your teeth? Like, tell me. Yep. Tell me all the bad stuff. And it's so funny you would say that because Liesl, my like best friend and VP, she's, she's been dating since this whole thing started and she has worked in theater and acting and, and my boyfriend does writing and there's often jokes or like ideas of coming up with like a movie. It was someone who 
like a lifetime movie, <laughs> you know, res- <laughs> leaves their horrible ex and goes to to volunteer at a dog rescue and ends up taking on a dog that's more than they thought they could handle, but they learn something new about themselves and they meet someone along the way. It's like a lifetime. Yeah, there's there's a lot in <laughs> a lot of possibilities there. Oh my gosh. So funny. Well, so we always like to ask some kind of fun questions, which I feel like is gonna be I love our first question because given that you have so many animals that have come in and out of your house and what you've already said, I think it's going to be great. Tell us what is the naughtiest thing an animal has done? Oh, I'll, I'll have to give you a couple. Cause I do love that question. Literally this week we have a litter that's been pulling our pants down like that. <laughs> yeah. Or attempting to. Yeah. I was wondering, you said that. And I was like, is that a thing? I've never heard of a dog pantsing people. Neither had I. And it's not like they're, they're not trying to pants. They just, we have a litter right now. We're calling them the avalanche puppies. They're these big white, like shepherd, maybe Pyrenees labs. And they are the sweetest, funniest, coolest dogs. It's avalanche, glacier, Arctic, and um, blizzard. But they are just so mouthy. Oh my gosh. And the first day, like, like we don't wear amazing clothes. You know, we wear clothes that'll get dirty and they just ripped holes in all of our pants within five minutes. And then one of our employees who came while we were doing a transport was, you know, helping like take the dogs out. And they're like, well, I'm glad you guys weren't here yet because you would have seen my bare butt because <laughs> the dogs straight up pulled my pants down. So all we've had to do basically is I just got a spray bottle and put water in it. We sprayed them once if they try and pull our pants down. And now we just show them the spray bottle. And it's like, we get it, like puppies are teething, but we've never had them bite through the fabric and pull downward. I don't know if that's a breed thing or what that is, but yeah, there's that. They're like fraternity puppies or something. (laughs) Yeah, and they're not like running in circle. They're just, I guess they're just being funny. I don't know. (laughs) We have had multiple dogs get full plated dinners off the countertops. Oh, yeah. We had one dog who was a mom, Gracie, and my roommate liked to joke and call her Kevin Gracie because of Kevin Spacey in The Usual Suspect, where I haven't seen it, but he basically said Kevin Spacey like pretends to be disabled or handicapped. And at the end of the movie, you see him like start walking normally. And Gracie was a distemper survivor. So she had like a tick. So she did have a disability where she would kind of walk on one leg more interestingly. But if there was chicken on the counter, she became an Olympic athlete and she would jump onto the counter, take all of it off. And then if you saw her, we're like, Gracie, no, she would sprint out of the room, jump over a gate. And you're like, what? you can walk now? What are you <laughs> doing? You know, normally when she was pregnant, she could barely stand up. And now she's like hopping over chairs and fences so that she could steal food. Oh my God, that's so funny. But you're like, let's go to the vet. And she's like, I can't go. Oh yeah. She's at the vet limping around and all the vet techs and the people there are like, Oh, what happened? You poor thing. And she's on her back. Like pet me. Yeah. No, it was pretty funny. <laughs> oh, and we had another mom plum who would move her puppies. And like, we've heard of dogs moving their puppies, but she would move them under my bed. So we had like a whole room set up for her. And once the moms get old enough and the puppies are still kind of young enough where they can't really move or open their eyes, we'll just let the mom sort of walk around, go in the house, go in the yard. And if I was gone for 20 minutes, I would go and her puppies were like, they'd vanished. I'm like, oh my God, where are the puppies? And she had dragged them under my king bed, like in the middle, like on top of a bag of socks or whatever. And she did this like 12 times. And anytime we forgot to close the door, it was like, oh God, let's go on the hunt for Plum's puppies. What part of the house are they in now? There's always oh some weird... God. Yeah, there was a 
always some fun, weird. The dogs have quirks for sure. <laughs> they do some odd things and they poop in weird places. Oh, I had a mom poop in my sink, in my bathroom sink. She jumped up. She would jump up onto the counter and go into the sink to poop. What? <laughs> I don't know why. We take them out like she had just given birth and we're taking her out every hour or two to go to the bathroom to get some exercise. And then we put her back in. She's like, you know what I haven't done today? Pooped in your sink. Let's do that. That'll be fun. Yeah. Let's poop in your sink. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. This is the first time I've heard of it. <laughs> Talk to me, me too. <laughs> so that's just off the top of my head. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You've had some antics. I know. It's fun. We, we like our jobs. <laughs> oh man. Well, so I know you, you volunteered with a bunch of organizations and at this point, I'm sure you've also connected with other rescues. I'm wondering if there's one that you kind of look up to as like the gold standard, or you really love a project that they're doing. Like, do you have a, a rescue crush? <laughs> well, the main rescue that I go to for advice is called Sunny Day Acres and it's run by Jennifer Gray. And she is awesome. She's got like a big ranch in Agua Dulce. And she is very old school. I hope she doesn't mind my saying like they do things the old school way, but they do a lot of what we do. So they focus a lot on um, pregnant dogs, abandoned litters of puppies that don't have moms, things like that. But they also just take dogs like we do, seniors, young, middle-aged, whatever. And Jennifer's just an amazing person in the rescue world. You, There is a reputation of um, a lot of founders having these big egos and Weirdly enough, getting into it to get rich or to get famous or whatever. I don't, I don't know if that works because <laughs> um, I don't know any recipes that are, well, I know like two that are rich and famous and good for them, I guess. But um, yeah, Jennifer just knows her stuff. She's an incredible dog trainer. She has birthed a million puppies. So anytime we have like an emergency birthing situation, I can call her. We can't reach a vet and it's like, hey, I don't know if these meds are working. She's like, have you tried blah, blah, blah. She is incredible and helpful and has an amazing heart and just super dedicated. And then I want to give a shout out to Deb Bloom, who I just started working with, who isn't actually part of a rescue, but she like is part of every rescue. <laughs> so she's just an independent networker. And we've gotten a couple dogs from her where she'll connect us with, you know, various shelters or just people who have found dogs. We had her call us one night and she connected us with a rescue who does senior dogs and they had found eight like Australian shepherd mix puppies in an Indian reservation that were like left under an RV and their mom had been killed by coyotes. Mm. Yeah. The rescue that kind of had gone to that reservation had connections there, just worked with seniors. So they were like, what do we do with these puppies? Like we're not, you know, just like we have a closet full of formula and pee pads and all these things. They, they were equipped for seniors. So Deb was like, hey, you got any room? We're like, yep, bring them over. It was 1030 at night. We'd just been out having a drink. We're like rushing home, getting everything set up for them. We've gotten a couple dogs from her now. And it's just funny because she acts as if we're like helping her save these dogs. And we're like, you're literally paying for their vetting before they come to us. You're like giving them rides. You're, you're doing all the hard work. We just take care of them once they're here. So Deb's just a literal angel who spends all of her free time driving dogs around and picking them up and, and finding places for them to go. And we just adore her. Aww, I love that. That's so sweet. Someone that just has a heart and it's like, right. Oh my God. Yeah. I want her to adopt me. I love her. <laughs> She's amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, so our last question, we wonder, is there a like quote or life motto, something that you tell yourself when you're doing this work? 
I don't know if there's a quote or a life motto, but sometimes when it does get hard, I think we just look at each other and we sit and we try and remember all the dogs that we helped, like all the dogs that we we did save. Like, I don't want to steal from best friends, but was it that they have saved them all? Yeah. Or something like that. Sometimes we have to just sit and like, sometimes social media is actually really helpful for that. We just go back and look at like some of the before and afters or we'll get texts just randomly from adopters, like in the most pristine moment when we really need it. Like, hey, I just wanted to reach out and show you how well Noe is doing or whatever. And yeah, I guess it's just to take the time as little as there is and how whenever you can take the time and remember the good that you've already done because we tend to live in a very fast-paced world and work in a very fast-paced industry where the second that somebody is saved there's another one that still needs to be saved and we're like panicking 24 7 i'm sure i've aged 10 years in the last two years and we just want to place everyone we want to get them off the streets we want to get them into the vet before x y and z and we can't always do it despite our best efforts there's just not always a vet open or a driver available or whatever and there's always more dogs than we can fit. So it's really nice to sit sometimes and remember what you could do and what did work and what dogs you did save. Actually, wait, now I thought of it. Now the uh, the quote, I guess, comes or it's a, it's a fable. Maybe you guys have heard of it where there's a, someone walking along the sea and there's a bunch of um, starfish all on the, the sand, like not in the water. And I guess they need to be in the water to survive. And there's someone there picking up the starfish and throwing them back into the, the ocean. Then the other person walking by is like, what are you doing? You can't possibly put all of these starfish back into the water. And they're like, no, but it makes a difference for the ones that I can. And he just keeps putting one starfish at a time back into the water so they can live. And yeah, I don't remember if it's a fable or a story. I love that. It's similar to the the saying, Sam said it a few episodes ago, Bridget. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can't, for that one dog, you'll change the world or. Oh, Yeah. You can't change the world for every dog, but for... But for that one dog, you'll change the world. You'll change their world. Yeah, and that's the best you can do. I love it. And I think that's a good reminder to even like adopters out there. Like, don't forget to send those updates because your rescuer and foster, like as a foster, I'm such a sucker. I'm like, look how fat that cat is now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's the best. Oh, it's so sweet. So quick reminder to everyone out there and make sure you sent an update to your adopter or wherever else, because we all want to celebrate that with you. Mm-hmm. Or a quick reminder, foster. Just everyone foster. We need more foster. <laughs> oh, yes. That too. That's like our wish list. People always ask us, what do you really need right now? I'm like fosters, like anything else. I'm like, I guess we could use a new washing machine, but yeah. honestly, just fosters. <laughs> well, so that's another great plug too. Let's everyone, if you're interested in fostering and you're in the Southern California area, please reach out to Pups Without Borders more fosters we have, the more dogs we can save. Absolutely. Just memorize that line. I say it all the time. <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with us. This was so fun. And we're so excited to continue working with you as you enter your second year here. Thank you guys so much. It was such a pleasure. And we appreciate everything Cuddly has done for us. And we also look so forward to the future and what it may hold for all of us. It was so great talking to Eve about all the work she's doing and how her passion for dogs really inspired this rescue organization, as well as her new take on adoption policies. If you want to learn a little bit more about Pups Without Borders, you can check our show notes or our blog. 
And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks guys.